Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we'll be talking a bit about the first game of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and talking about tonight's NHL awards, which saw a Winnipeg Jet actually earn one of the top honors and individual awards this team has ever seen. Let's be honest, Winnipeg usually isn't nominated for very many things, especially when it comes to player awards, so it's nice to see that the Jets not only got a nomination and a finalist, but have actually managed to close the deal and get an award. You can probably guess who it is, but I won't spoil it in case you somehow live under a rock. We'll talk about some of the other award winners as well and why they may or may not be as deserving as we'd like. Kicking us off though, let us talk about the Stanley Cup Finals, and specifically Game 1, which had a bit of a surprising start. This was a game in which Dallas controlled, I would say, around half of the game to maybe closer to two-thirds of the play. Especially early in this game, Dallas just seemed to have the run of the shot share, they were getting into the more dangerous areas, and they were really frustrating the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa's offense, which is extremely vaunted, very fast and very effective on the counter, really had trouble getting going. That's pretty atypical of what we see from Tampa, especially against teams that are conceivably weaker in many respects, but those weaknesses really weren't on display until later in the game. Dallas ended up getting the nice early lead, and it just wasn't something that they ended up relinquishing. In the first period, though, it looked like they might have a bit of a tighter time against this Lightning squad because even though they were running up the shot clock, the period ended tied 1-1 with Joel Hanley recording his first career playoff goal for the Stars and Yanni Gord tying it for the Lightning. And then in the second period, things kind of opened up, and Dallas found itself with a 3-1 lead after Jamie Alexiak and playoff hero Yoel Kiviranta ended up tallying yet again to get his fifth goal of the postseason. Alexiak also had his fifth goal of the postseason, and I feel like Jamie's perception at least has massively improved over the past couple of weeks. For those who haven't been paying a lot of attention to Alexiak's progress, which did actually continue on from the regular season, Jamie's become a much more functional second-pairing defender. I think that his overall game has improved by leaps and bounds in terms of the fact that he understands what his weaknesses are, and Rick Bonus is essentially asking him to be a bit more of an offensive force. In his own end, I think Alexiak still struggles from some of the defensive gapping issues and lower defensive IQ that have kind of haunted him throughout his career, but kind of what we've seen in Montreal with Ben Sherrod, it seems like the Stars understand that Alexiak going forward is actually quite a bit more effective than anticipated. He's strong in the puck in possession, and he can kind of lead a nice little counter or some sort of a breakout, whatever it is that you need to create offense, Alexiak seems to be pretty capable of spearheading that. As long as you're not asking him to man-mark or have really complex defensive zone reads, I think that Jamie is a pretty reliable player. He seems like he's grown a lot over the past couple of seasons, and perhaps this offensive upside from him is not exactly something that's a flash in the pan. Maybe it continues on over the next couple of years. As far as Kibi Ranta is concerned, I, I don't even know what to say about this kid that hasn't already been said. He's been something of a revelation for the Stars, and it's not just that he's scoring goals and, and getting nice offense, he's actually creating a lot of opportunities. He's been one of their most dangerous forwards consistently, and I think that that's kind of a big deal when some of their other big guns have kind of gone a bit quiet. Guys like Sagan and Radulov, of course, get themselves into nice positions, and Rope Hints occasionally has a few nice rushes, but I think for the most part, it's hard for Dallas to find space, and part of it is because 
they seem to really be prioritizing these high-danger opportunities. Like we've said in previous episodes, they're not a team that likes to take shots from distance. What they're looking for is, if they do take a point shot, they're looking for really tight deflections and a lot of net front chaos. Their whole goal is to get as close to the net as humanly possible. They seem to be abundantly aware that offensive creation, especially from distance or with high-end shooters, is, is not exactly their forte. What they want to do is create a lot of net front chaos and get either the Lightning or any other opponent scrambling in front of the net. They always look for that final pass as well, which I think is something that's very important for this kind of team because what they're hoping for is that they can create the most dangerous opportunities even if they're not exactly getting a high volume of chances, which they've had issues with in other series. They ended up winning this first game 4-1, and I, th I think it's definitely a testament to the fact that Dallas came in with a big game plan, they executed it perfectly, and Tampa Bay really didn't have an answer. In the second game that's currently underway, the story has been very different. Dallas took a lot of penalties in Game 1, but they didn't get punished on them. In the second game, that's not the case at all. It's just the end of the first period, but Tampa Bay is already up 3-0, and Dallas only has itself to blame. They've taken a number of penalties, they've barely had any scoring opportunities or shots on goal, partly because they're maybe overcooking a few lanes, but I just think that their approach tends to mean that guys like Radulov aren't going to take a shot that's maybe a bit higher up the ice and not exactly a high percentage shot unless they really think that the scoring opportunity is there. Otherwise, they're going to be looking to go down low towards the net and again, create more net front chaos. They haven't been able to do that this game, but I've seen a couple of opportunities where I think that they're getting closer, if not quite there yet. All that said, I think with the hole that they've put themselves in, it's probably over. I'll talk about the game a bit more in detail on the next show, but I think what's kind of interesting to see is that Dallas is struggling with the Tampa Bay team that is faster in this game in some areas, but definitely not aggressively forechecking. Much of this has been spurred on by Dallas's own indiscipline and the lack of penalty-killing ability against a really dangerous Tampa Bay team, and it's not like this is the star's fault necessarily. Most PK units are going to get diced apart by a power play that is this good, so ultimately I think Dallas just needs to tighten up, especially on the penalty side of things, and start taking advantage of some of the even strength opportunities that they've created. I think that they're getting into some of the right areas, but they're not getting those shots, and they're not getting those either passing lanes that they're looking for, or second chance opportunities that they're kind of known for capitalizing on. They're heading into period two with a power play, but whether or not that's enough to cut into this lead, or whether this is another opportunity that's going to go by the wayside remains to be seen. Either way, I think that they can at least be impressed with the fact that they have a win already, and that gives them a little bit more breathing room because I don't think that there's any doubt that the Lightning are going to win at least one or two games in the series. More than likely three or four. This is a, an amazing Lightning team, probably one of the best NHL teams that I've seen in some time. Um, you know, it's obviously a, a tough ask for the Stars team to skate with them consistently. But even in this first period, aside from those defensive mistakes on the penalty kill and whatnot, I thought that Dallas was able to frustrate the Lightning and really slow them down. So if they can do that a bit more consistently and then score those opportunistic goals, maybe Dallas has a chance of turning the series back around in its favor. Tonight's game, of course, wasn't the only NHL action heating up. In just a little bit, we'll cover some of the NHL awards, including a very special award handed out to a Winnipeg Jet. The first trophy of this one awarded to a Jets player of this franchise. You know who it is, but we'll still talk about him anyways, because how can you not want to talk about this guy? Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. It is officially NHL award season, which is usually the most controversial time of the year outside of the draft because everyone gets a vote on these awards, no one agrees with the results, everyone has some kind of a hot take about who does or doesn't deserve it, and we all try to pretend that these awards don't mean anything even though we get really angsty and pissed when our favorite player doesn't win an award. Because let's be honest, trophies are all that matter, even if the trophy itself is kind of silly and the voting process is really flawed. But 
That aside, we'll go through the awards that we know so far. Up first, we have the Calder Trophy, which is awarded to the most outstanding NHL Rookie of the Year. And this year's winner is Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. This was actually a pretty tough year to pick a Calder winner. I think you had three really good candidates between uh, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, and more on the back end of that, Adam Fox. And I think that there is a compelling argument for each player. Kale McCarr is a really offensively gifted defensive skater, and I think that that is something that a lot of people enjoy watching. He's excellent on the power play. He's an incredibly gifted attacker, especially in transition and in the offensive zone, and really he's just an all-around offensive menace. While his defensive game itself is not exactly sterling, I think that his offensive impact and the way that he can create inside the attacking end is just the work of somebody who is supremely gifted at being an offensively minded blue liner. And honestly, while his defensive impact is still a work in progress, it's not bad at all. I think that he does pretty well in front of his own net. And what you're really hoping for is just getting a ton of offense out of him in the other side of things. Now, what's kind of funny is he's actually not somebody who's a big volume shooter, and yet he posted 50 points in 57 games. As part of your rookie season, that's a very impressive total and something that I think Colorado is obviously very pleased with. To have a, a decent impact on defensive metrics, even if not from the points, but you know, centrally in front of the low slot area, while generating plenty of offensive scoring in the other end, you know, I think that that's something that gives you a nice foundation to work on. I do think that over time he needs to start controlling more of the ice. Right now, I think as a rookie and in the roles that he's been given, he's allowed to skate and attack, and he's actually given license to cheat sometimes, but he's not necessarily the one spearheading a lot of the attacking. With the kind of forward talent that Colorado has available, I tend to think that Makar, as gifted as he is, is somebody who also benefits from having a lot of really good supporting players. I think as he starts to gain in confidence, get more ice time, and continue to trend really upwards, you know, he's already at 21 minutes a game but really also be given even more offensive responsibility. I think that you're going to see so many of his really gifted traits, including his edge work, his vision, his distribution, and his offensive prowess and instincts really start to take over. This is a guy who I think does have the ability to take over shifts, especially from that deeper position on the back end. The guy who may have an argument as maybe having a bit more work to do and perhaps being the better overall player is Quinn Hughes. Quinn is somebody who I think his overall shot impacts may not look amazing, but I think when you consider the kind of team that he's playing on and the defensive unit that surrounds him, Quinn is simply an extraordinary player. He's one of the most gifted offensive skaters that I've ever seen because he marries exceptional instincts with incredible skating, frightening creativity while he's skating laterally or really in any direction, an ability to dominate shifts by controlling the puck and essentially dictating the tempo, and that rare ability to also finish on the opportunities that he creates. Quinn is a really dynamic skater, and I think that is something that Makar maybe hasn't gotten quite to the same level of. I, I think that Kale absolutely has that ability, but I've seen from what Quinn can do just a different level of possession and domination. You know, Quinn is somebody that I think in the future is going to be a, a Norris Trophy winner. The way that he just controls the ice reminds me a little bit of like an Eric Carlson melded with someone else. You know, he, he constantly has this ability to drive possession. He loves skating around the perimeter and creating space for his teammates. And because of his overall puck handling skill, his vision, again, his passing is amazing and his edge work is fantastic and he's got a pretty nice shot. He's just a really well-rounded, really gifted offensive threat who is also capable of back-checking really aggressively, although he's still kind of working on his defensive impact. I think that he's kind of learning the gapping, spacing, 
and the positioning that he needs in order to disrupt shooting lanes and disrupt passing lanes as well. While Quinn's overall impact is still kind of a work in progress, I think that there's a lot to like there, and he might be an even better defenseman down the road than Kale is. Between the two, I think it's a really fair toss-up. I think that Kale is certainly deserving of, of the Calder as much as Quinn is. I might have to give Quinn the edge just because of the situation that he was in, the amount of work that he was asked to do, and the fact that his overall offensive impact is just incredibly pronounced. I mean, when you look at uh, HockeyViz.com, which is from Micah Blake McCurdy, who does a lot of data viz, Makar actually has an okay defensive impact, like a minus 4% on shot attempts against, but he doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of creating lots of scoring opportunities. What Quinn kind of does differently is that he's somebody who likes to create a lot of slot offense and actually has a plus eight percentage differential when he's on the ice for offensive opportunities for without giving too much up in his own end. Considering that their blue line is like Jordy Ben and a couple of other guys, including Chris Tanev and Troy Stetcher and some other guys that I don't really remember, I think that that is a really impressive profile for a kid who really has the sky as his limit for what he can do down the road. Quinn definitely improved on his first couple of games in last season where he didn't really play all that many games, just five total, but overall I think that we like what we've seen from him, and he continues to trend ever upward to the point where I think that he's going to be a bona fide franchise blue liner in the next season or two. For me, he's already there, but I just mean in terms of his actual on-ice impact, I think he's starting to really approach those levels. The third guy that had a couple of votes but definitely was considered probably the least favorite to win of these three is Adam Fox. And I think that Fox is just a really mature, incredible two-way defenseman with great impacts in both ends of the ice. And he's playing on a blue line core that's absolutely, well, in a word, kind of ramshackle. That's a very bad defensive unit that has been porous throughout most of its past several seasons. This year was not much different, and yet Fox came in and immediately just dominated possession whenever he was on the ice. Adam's a very gifted skater. He's also very smart with the puck, and I think that that counts for a lot when you're a guy playing his kind of position on a team that doesn't have really reliable outlets or defenders. Adam had to do a lot of stuff himself, and I feel like his approach to the game, where he was a little more conservative and a little bit more careful, and also given more sheltered minutes at an older age, definitely put him, you know, third best in the list of players. But overall, his on-ice impact might have been the most well-rounded of all three defensemen. Had he been given a more prominent top-pairing role, I think he might have had a few more votes as being the Calder favorite this year. Still not enough to unseat either of Makar or Hughes, but I think that Fox is already a superstar in the making. People may not recognize him yet 100%, but I think that Fox in the next couple of seasons is really going to start earning accolades and acclaim as being one of this league's best young defensemen. New York has a very special, special player in him, and I feel like his ability to just control shifts and be an incredibly steadying force on a team that really doesn't have a whole lot going forward in terms of back-end stability just makes him a true bonafide top-pairing guy and somebody who I think long-term is going to make the Rangers a much better team with his ability to control those shifts and elevate the play of people around him. I'm not saying that he's going to fix the Rangers, but he definitely gives you a lot more depth on that back end, and he creates a lot for his teammates. So I think that that's just a match made in heaven, and New York was really smart in getting him into that team, especially as a free agent. In just a little bit, we'll cover some of the other awards, including the Art Ross, Hart, and Ted Lindsay Award. But before we get to some of the more controversial trophies, I did want to tell you a little bit about the brand new and approved Built Bar. If you're someone who likes to maintain an active and healthy lifestyle, protein bars probably play some part of a role in your daily routine, whether you have them as a breakfast replacement, a snack, or something else. Unfortunately, most of us know that most protein bars are not that good. 
They're either dry, very chemically tasting, or just very unexciting. I've even had a few that just had this weird coating that was very undesirable. It melted and it never resolidified, and ugh, not really my kind of thing. And then I got to try Built Bar, and I realized that, hey, maybe there is actually a pretty good option out there just waiting for you to find it. Built Bars are more like candy bars in that they're coated in dark chocolate, and they've got a nice, soft, chewy interior. I really love the raspberry and mint brownie flavors, but they've also added six new exciting flavors that join their original cast of 12, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. When it comes to protein bars, I'm pretty picky, so when I tell you that Built Bars taste excellent, I'm really not kidding. They have that nice blend of sweetness without being a little bit overbearing, and best of all, they're really good for you. Most of them come in at under 200 calories, around 5 grams of net carbs, and between 15 to 19 grams of protein. It's a perfect balance whether you have a keto diet restriction or you're trying to stick to a weight maintenance or weight loss program. And when you hit at BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you can get $10 off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com for $10 off your next order. Longtime listeners of this podcast are also probably aware that I am something of a geek, so I like to talk about games and stuff from time to time. I grew up around comics, movies, and gaming, so it's probably not much of a surprise that I ended up becoming a sports geek today. Sometimes, though, it is cool to go back to your roots, and every now and then I'll crack open a new comic or watch some anime series, but over time I've definitely grown jaded. I think that I prefer new experiences and stuff that's a bit off the beaten path, and that's kind of why your story really stuck out to me. Your story is a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area, and they just launched a brand new comic book line, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a supernatural, hard-boiled detective story featuring really cool characters, a bit of cosmic dread, and a supernatural storyline that features elements of X-Files and Mad Men in equal measure. It's all very spooky and unfamiliar until you catch that side of Portage and Maine reminding you it's all still in Winnipeg. You can check out the first issue of The River Nose at yourstory.ca where you can snag the ebook version for just $1.99. You can also purchase high quality 85 by 11 first printing runs of the same comics for $11.99. And if you're a gamer, be sure to keep an eye out for their upcoming game, Alien Machine Glow, which centers on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other comic books and graphic novels at yourstory.ca. And be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to this closing segment of the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. I hope you have enjoyed our NHL awards coverage and Stanley Cup finals coverage. We're going to be running through these last few awards because some of them are a little bit, you know, fairly sensible, not a whole lot to dispute. And we will start off with Roman Yossi winning the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman. And I feel like this trophy really doesn't have a whole lot to say against the particular nomination that they elected to go with. I think that Yossi was really good in just about everything. He was a dominant transition skater. His total offensive and defensive impacts were astoundingly good. He was one of Nashville's top scorers. I really feel like as far as trophies go, you could easily say that he deserved it, and I don't really think that many people would dispute it. Where it maybe gets a little bit more controversial is in Leon Dreisaitl winning the Ted Lindsay Award and the Hart Trophy, which I think these awards for me are both kind of weird because, you know, they're judged for like MVP and most outstanding player in the NHL, and Dreisaitl getting both for me was kind of a bit of a miss. On the one hand, Dreisaitl definitely scored a lot of points, but I feel like he wasn't even the most important player on his team, and while Dreisaitl is definitely like an elite top six center, I'm just not really sold on his overall impact. I feel like he's on an amazing roster in terms of the kind of supporting cast that he has, not necessarily in wingers, but in having Connor frickin' McDavid on his team. Now, he didn't really play with McDavid as much this season, so I, I definitely would say that he earns a lot of praise for the amount of scoring that he did create this year. 
but when you look under the hood and kind of see his total impact on the ice, you have to wonder just how much of it was a bit of fortune and maybe some elevated shooting percentages. You know, is this something that he can realistically repeat next season? Probably not to the same extent, but I think that Dreisaitl is definitely known to be one of those elite scorers, so I definitely would anticipate like a 90 to a 100-point season. But, you know, is it really Hart and Ted Lindsay award-winning worthy? And I'm just not 100% sure. When I look at a guy like Elias Pettersson and what he did for Vancouver, in both ends of the ice, really, and how he was able to create, I feel like he was more valuable to Vancouver than Dreisaitl was to Edmonton. I also feel like Connor Hellebuck really had a good case for being the most valuable overall NHLer in this league. I mean, the amount of goals that he saved for Winnipeg and, and what he did for that team, essentially dragging them into a playoff spot, I really feel deserves more recognition than it got. You know, when you consider what kind of trophy the Hart Trophy is, which it's it's devolved into a scoring trophy sometimes, but I really feel like looking at the definition, Hellebuck had a real shot at saying that he was the most valuable player to his team, especially when you compare everyone else to what they did for their respective squads. I'm not going to complain that much because these trophies, again, are, are very subjective, and I think in this particular case, Dreisaitl scored a ton of points, and it is what it is. I'm not really going to say that I think that his trophies are, are completely undeserved. I'm just not sure if he was the first candidate that came to mind for both of these awards. That said, Connor Hellebuck absolutely earned his Vesna trophy. We all knew that he was going to get it. It would have been a shock if, for some reason, Tuka Rosk or Andre Vasilevsky earned it over him. I looked at the voting for this award, and I, I didn't really see that it was all that close. Hellebuck had like six or seven more first-place votes than Rosk, who came in second, and that is exactly how it should be. Actually, in my opinion, it probably should have been even more first-place votes, but, you know, I'm not going to complain. Hellebuck got it. He was outstanding. He was this team's MVP, and he was definitely the best overall goalkeeper when you consider both the circumstances of what he had to play behind and the fact that he put up such incredible numbers. The reason the Jets made the postseason to begin with was because of Hellebuck and the fact that they just managed to score enough for him to matter, but he stole so many games for this team time and time again, and I really don't know where this squad would be without him. Connor Hellebuck has absolutely earned the first couple seasons of his contract, and hopefully going forward he continues to be this Vezina winner because if he keeps doing this as the team gets better defensively and starts creating more at even strength for offense, I think that you've got a really good makings of a dangerous squad. That is going to wrap up our show for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed watching tonight's NHL awards, especially the one where Hellebuck ended up getting the thing that he's supposed to get because he is an amazing goalie. We're all very proud of him, and hopefully, again, he continues it on going forward. Before you log off, though, be sure to check out the rest of the NHL League news from Locked On NHL, hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!